We proclaim your name, the one who was before all things, the one who reigns above all things. We pray, God, that your power and your might would continue to be manifested in our lives, in our families, in our community. God, we pray now that you would be present in this time. As we speak Jesus, God, we now ask, Jesus, would you speak to us? All God's people said, amen. Well, man, how good was that? That's good. Well, there was this story that I heard about these three friends that uh, decided to go hunting together, and uh, so they go out, and uh, one of these guys was a lawyer, one was a doctor, and the other was a preacher, and uh, they're walking along, and you know, walking the fields, beautiful fall day, and they come across this big old buck, and uh, rather than talking about, you know, who's going to take the shot, uh, like many eager hunters, they all take the shot. So three shots fire out, the buck falls down straight to the ground. And uh, as you can imagine, they go over, they're like, man, let's go see how big this actually was. And as they're kind of walking along, um, you know, they're, uh, they're like, man, like how cool is that? And uh, they look and there's one, one hole in the buck. Three shots, one hole. And so as you can imagine, like good hunters, they were all speculating as to which bullet actually took down the buck, and uh, they were like, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, based on the timing of it, it was me, this, that, and the other, so this, you know, argument sort of ensued as to who actually had the, uh, the death blow to the buck, and so uh, the game warden happened to be nearby, and uh, so he offered to help, and so a few minutes later, he's like, I'll go observe the, you know, the, the, the deer, and uh, he, he said, he came back, he said with much confidence, he said, the pastor shot the buck. And the friends were amazed at how they could determine that so quickly and with so little examination. The game warden said, he just smiled. He says, easy to figure out. The bullet went one, in one ear and out the other. <laughs> I'm done with lamejokes.com, all right? I'm just, that's, that's it. I'm just... I said, where do these stories come from, you know? What, I, I don't know if that's more of an insult to you or to me. I, I don't know, but man, it's good to have a good time, and uh, laughter is good. But see, I, I don't worry about that here, in all honesty. Uh, only on occasion do I get those blank stares, you know, and uh, uh, on, on even rare occasions, somebody just takes a nap. If you need to take a nap, that's okay. You know, I'm just going to assume that you need it. Um, but I believe that for the most part around here, there is really just this heart to learn, to listen, to be challenged, to be shaped by God and his word and to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. And, um, and I feel like that really is the intention in the heart. But the truth is, we can all have this tendency from time to time to have selective hearing. Uh, anybody have, you don't have to raise your hand, but just, you know, I just think you have selective hearing. If I asked, does your spouse have selective hearing, some of you might raise their hand for them, right? I've been accused of this and, uh, you know, I... I don't know why that is, but I, I say it's more ADD than selective hearing. But um, she, she'll point out, hey, you have selective hearing. And, um, you know, there'll be things like, hey, can you go ahead and take care of the dishes? And it's interesting because, like, I don't know if it's the frequency at which she says those things. But sometimes those things just slide on by. And she's like, hey, did you hear me say, like, can you do the dishes? And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So some of you are like that. Some of you have selective hearing. And uh, I'll be honest, sometimes I do. Um, and, and I'll just, as we're kind of diving into the topic today, uh, let's just be honest, we do hear sometimes what we want to hear, 
right? And uh, if we're honest, and this is kind of the nature of selective hearing. Um, and I'll just challenge you today uh, to think about this. I think that oftentimes that the things that we select not to hear, especially when it comes from the Word of God, are probably the things we need to hear the most. Anybody experienced that or felt that, that it's that topic that you're avoiding or that thing that you're avoiding or that thing that maybe is most, to use the modern word, triggering to you? Uh, maybe there's something to be said for that, right? Maybe that is the very topic, the one that we select not to hear that we need to hear the most. And, and for some people, this topic that we've been on over the course of the month is, is one of those topics. For whatever reason, money talk seems to be triggering for some. And, and I'll agree, I'm, I'm sure it's not always handled in the best manner. And sometimes um, in some, some settings, it might be um, talked about a lot. But um, for whatever reason, money talk seems to be triggering for some. John Wesley once quipped, though, he said, he noticed that the last part of the person to be converted was their wallet. <laughs> you know? But why does this conversation matter? Why does it matter that we talk about money? And well, the, one of the reasons it matters is because Jesus talked about money a lot. And in fact, as we listen to the words, listen to what Jesus commands us when he says this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your our eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he makes this point, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so as we come to the conclusion of this Multiply series, here's the question I have for you. Where's your treasure? Where is your treasure? And I can't answer that for you, but it's an important question for all of us to really wrestle with at the end of the day, even more so than what am I called to give? What am I called to give back to God? The bigger question is, where is your treasure? Because your heart won't be far behind. And so I hope you have been challenged. I hope you haven't uh, suffered from selective hearing over the course of this Multiply series and campaign. Um, and you're ultimately considering not just what God is calling you personally to give, because this is our opportunity as an act of worship to give back to the God that has so graciously given all things, namely his son Jesus, who we just sung about. It's our opportunity to give back to him, but it's also our opportunity to allow God to show us where our treasure lies, what grips our heart. And so here's my challenge this morning is I get the opportunity to conclude uh, the series today, uh, and then you get to hear from one other person tonight. I'm excited about that. But my challenge this morning is simply this. And my original thought was, because it, it kind of had this nice ring to it, was just to say, put your money where your heart is. Put your money where your heart is. But then I realized that our hearts can mislead us, including my own. And so the better challenge is, Put your money where God's heart is. Put your money where God's heart is. And that is the challenge today. If you hear nothing else, I would encourage you to really wrestle with where is God's heart and is my treasure where God's treasure is? Do I treasure what Jesus treasures? And as we sung those words about our love for Jesus, I believe that is true. But one of the greatest reflections and expressions of that is 
where our treasure is. And so what I get the opportunity today to do just a little bit is talk to you about really the vision beyond this multiply campaign. When we use this word multiply, what are we talking about? What are we asking God to multiply in us and among us? And one of the things that I've continued to think about, and Jess and I have now for almost 15 years, maybe um, I'm trying to do math quick, almost 15 years we've been a part of this journey and felt compelled to the vision of what God was doing here. And I still feel committed to this vision and what God is doing. And I've been so just blown away by all that has been accomplished. And even as I look around this room, the lives that have been transformed, the, the lives that are continuing to be transformed. And man, everything that we have poured into this has been worth it. And I hope that you can say the same. But I believe that the best is yet to come. God has so much in store for our future. And so what I want to do is just cast a little bit of vision for not only what is happening, both within these four walls and beyond these four walls because of Axis Church, but I believe what will happen to an increasing measure into the future. And so what I want to have, what I want to do today is I talk about and really challenge us to put our money where God's heart is. I want to talk about God's heart for his church. And if at any point in time we no longer are chasing God's heart for what he wants um, for his church, then we're irrelevant. And so it is our desire collectively to keep each other chasing after the things that matter to the heart of God. And so Access Church is so much more than a building. This Multiply campaign is so much more than a building. And here are the reasons why, personally, I feel compelled to jump in with both feet into this campaign and our family um, investing in it as well. So Access is so much more than a building. Here, here's how I would define it. If I just had to say Access is, and then finish that sentence, and, and equally, the, I could also use the word the local church, but this is what I believe Axis Church is and, and will continue to become. Axis is where hope is found. Where hope is found. I love this description of Jesus as he just kind of walked the streets and as he met real needs and met real people in distress. It says this, he went through all the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. I mean, just let that sit on you for just a minute. I mean, here Jesus is, and in his presence, there is just this potency of healing, of change, of good news that is not only spoken, but being lived out and experienced. And when he saw the crowds, it said he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like the harassed and the helpless? Bring yourself back to that place where you were that person, where you were in your moment of greatest need. We've all been in that place where we've lost our bearing, where we've lost our way, where we've been harassed and helpless, discouraged, downtrodden. You plug in the word. One of the words that comes to mind for me is this word, disoriented. They were like sheep without a shepherd had no bearing. I feel like as I'm getting older, I get more and more reminders that I'm getting older. You know what I mean? Like I got the gray hair, like that's kind of the obvious one. And uh, just likes to bring that one up, you know, like I'm like, hey, babe, like, you know, it's distinguishment. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, but I, there's other reminders too as you get older. And one of them is um, like who gets hurt while they sleep? You know what I mean? Like anybody else in here just like you get some of your worst injuries while you're sleeping? Like, this did not happen to me in my 20s, and I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like going to bed, and I'm waking up, and I'm like, 
did I get like some kind of PR last night? Like, and I didn't realize it. Like, I must have like gotten the heaviest cleaning jerk I've ever gotten in my life because I wake up and I'm just, I can't even, like, I can't look. I'm like, you know, and then I go see our, our, our friend Kevin who, who treats me for a lot of these things. And I'm like, I tell him, he's like, he's like, what happened? I'm like, crazy story. I went to bed, then I woke up. No, there's nothing else. That is all that I did. I went to bed, I woke up, and I can't move my neck. He's like, okay, interesting, you know, and he's like, he's like it's just old age. I don't know what to tell you, you know. But things keep happening like this as I get older. Like, as I was younger, I used to, like, love the rides, like, all the rides, you know. Like, anybody else, like, just love rides, love the thrill-seeker things, like, love the ride. Like, when I was a kid, I'd go do this ride. It was, like, the worst ride ever invented. Now I look at it, and I'm like, I, th- I would throw up just thinking about this ride. I might get dizzy up here just talking about it, but... Um, they had this ride, it was a lot of times at these festivals, and you get, it's, it was basically just this thing that goes around in a giant circle. Like, like hey, guess what? For $5, you can get on here and feel your, the absolute worst you ever will in your life. Like, like, sign me up, I'm in, just spin me around. You don't even need a seatbelt, it just throws you into the back of the cage, and you're like, you know, you just stick there, and you're like, ah, uh, you know. And when I was a kid, it was kind of like, I'd walk off, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that was cool, like, let's do that again, you know. Trusting my life to some teenager that's operating this machine, like, like I, I don't know, just hit this button, it's fine, you know. Like, um, but... I can't do that anymore. There's no way I could do that ride. In fact, like the rides that I can ride at Kings Island are becoming less and less. We go over to Kings Island this summer, and uh, I'm talking like there's like Kitty Land, okay? And then there's the ride right next to Kitty Land, which is like the next step up, and I go with my kids. There's this one called, and you guys are going to know it if you go to Kings Island. It's called Stunt Coaster. And I'm like, that one's easy. Thrills like two dots. Like, got that. A two out of five, easy. So I get on there, and he's like, let's ride this. And I get on this thing, and it's going, it's whipping me around. It's just in a little car. Like, he's loving it. He's like, and it comes to this little spot where it stops, and there's, like, all these cool stunt shows. And in that moment, I just felt everything close in on me. Like, I'm like, it's closing in. And Aiden somehow noticed, and he looks at me, he's like, Dad, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I think I might have said out loud, I just, I just need a minute. I need a minute. And the truth is, I needed more than a minute. I needed some oxygen, maybe a trash can. Like, but I was like, this is like the easiest ride in the world. I came off of that. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm done for the day, buddy. I'll, we'll go to lunch or whatever. But like, like, that did me in. Like, it's embarrassing to admit. But like, these are the things that keep happening. But this feeling of disorientation, right? This feeling of being spun and dizzy and, and, and have our bear. It's not a fun physical feeling. Spiritual disorientation is a whole lot worse. And I believe that there is only one remedy when it comes to spiritual disorientation. The word is hope. But I believe that the only form of hope that really carries its weight, that really resolves the human condition, the real need that we're all after and we don't realize that we're after, can only be found in Jesus can only be found in Jesus. You might get a taste of hope elsewhere because I believe that God is that good and he's that present everywhere. But at the end of the day, real hope traces its roots back to Jesus. And that's really, really important because I believe that his vehicle for dispensing hope is a local church. It's you and I. It's not a building. It's a group of people that have said, hey, we have a compassion in the way that Jesus has a compassion. We have an eye for people that might be suffering or struggling or whatever it might be, and not in an overbearing, let's run them over kind of way, but in a way to breathe fresh life into them and speak hope into them, we show up for them. We show up. 
And by the way, if you see what Jesus is talking about here, we see him actually going and tangibly meeting those needs. And we have to, as a group of people, continue to commit to meeting real needs. Meeting the real needs that accompany the spiritual need. In fact, sometimes it's the physical need that as you meet that, it wins the opportunity to get to share about the greater need. And that is the spiritual need. And so it is hope that reorients us as we are disoriented. And hope is the only remedy for the harassed and the helpless. Jesus says this, and he gives us this charge. This is all of our charge. And he says this in Matthew 10, 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. We should be the most generous group of people on the planet as we continue to freely dispense the hope that has been so freely given to us. And so friends, this is so much more than a building. The church is a dispensary of hope. And we have to continue to commit to being that. The second thing is, it's where hope is found. It's where life is formed and reformed. I would say that and you have experienced it too, that there is so much just in the world and the day-to-day and our challenges and our experiences that is deformative, that is deforming us every day, right? But it is only as we reconnect to Jesus that we are formed and reformed into the people that God created us to be. Jesus says this in John 15, 1-4, I am the true vine, my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Listen, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, and so here's the challenge. Remain in me. Root yourself in me as I have rooted myself in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus laid down his life that we could reclaim ours. God's desire for all of us is to have a life that flourishes. God wants nothing less than that for each and every one of us. We talk a lot about disciple making around here, being a disciple of Jesus. Why? Because we believe that in walking out and living out the way of Jesus, that that is where you find the life of flourishing. Rooting your life in him. Continuing to root your life in him. And by the way, I think there is a misconception today that the, there is, because we talk about our personal relationship with Jesus, which is all well and good. We should have that. But somehow we've seen it as if that's enough. And I believe with my whole heart, and I've seen it play out time and time again as people are no longer rooted to a community of faith, other people around them that are helping to, to form one another in the likeness of Jesus is not a journey that's meant to do alone. And so how do we continue to live this out? Well, we flourish, as we, uh, Jesus tells us here in John 15, when we are most deeply connected with him. We flounder when we are least connected with him. Oh, could we tell stories, right, of the times that that has rung true. And by the way, this was always God's design. In the Old Testament that paints this picture of this life of flourishing is the word shalom. And uh, Neil Plantinga, he wrote this book called, uh, he's the president of of Calvin Theological Seminary, he wrote this book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And and I love how he describes sort of this desire of God for each and every one of us. He says this, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation and justice, fulfillment, is what the Hebrew prophets called 
shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than a, a mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural gifts fruitfully are employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. It's the life that flourishes. And I don't know about you, but, but I want that. I just that. I desire to be on that path and on that journey. I want that for you. I want that for my kids. I want that for our community. I want that for our generation. And that is what we are about here. Community of faith is where God's dream of human flourishing is lived out in the day today. True vitality, friends, is found in Christ alone, and it is fostered through his church. C.S. Lewis said it succinctly when he said, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became a man for no other purpose. His desire is that we would truly flourish in relationship with him. This is a community where life is formed and reformed. It's a community where kingdom leaders are made. I read you this scripture earlier, but here's how it concludes in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then here's the resolution. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. God could have done it all on his own, but his resolution is pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends out more and more workers. So this is a place where kingdom leaders are made and sent out into the harvest field. We had this assignment uh, that Eli did um, this past week. And it was actually, you, there's some assignments here like, this is kind of fun. Like, I enjoy this. The math ones and all that. We're not into that hard, like, math yet. So it's all kind of still fun stuff. But I'm like, creative assignments I love. And so Eli got to have this assignment. It was like, turkey in disguise. And the whole point was, Thanksgiving is coming. Turkey got to hide out, you know. And so find a disguise for him. And so um, this is what we came up with. I know this is sensitive right now. I'm like, I love, I love, and this was like before, you know, all the sad things happened this week. But um, we, we were like, okay, it was like a team effort. Aiden got to print it off the headphones and the glasses and like that big, we got the big chain. Of course, like, you know, Joe Burrow's always looking fly, coming to the locker room, you know, with his shoes and all that. And so, and then my job was to come up with the name. And so I'm like, obviously, Joe Burdo, right? Joe Burdo. And uh, so um, now I guess we could add a little sling to his wing or something. You know, I was like, oh, I know, I know. I, I got to joke about things that are hard, you know? Like, that's all we can do. Um, but, man, we had this collective just like, oh, didn't we? Like, this, when that happened, and we're like, he's out. We're just like, man, well, hey, it's been a fun season, you know? Like, it's been fun. Because, like, this really is the reality. We built our entire system around one guy, and we're like, what could go wrong, right? <laughs> like, this is our guy. Like, if he's healthy, we're going to do it. Like, we're going this year. If he's not healthy, which has been most of the season, calf, now out for the rest of the season. And then when we heard the news, we're like, well, there it is. You know, let's build our entire system around this guy, you know. And it's kind of, I'm not mad about it, though. It's fine. I'm, I'm, it's fine. 
they were 25 and 1 to make the playoffs Friday morning. That dropped to 75 and 1 chance. Uh, it might be the other way around. 1 and 75, whatever, you know the point. Uh, but after the Bengals announced that Burrow would miss the remainder of the season, the Super Bowl odds uh, fell from 12 to 1 down to 22 to 1 to 100 and 1 in 150 chance that we would make the Super Bowl. So you're saying, that, some of you are like, so you're saying there's a chance, you know? There's no chance, all right? There's no hope there. Sorry. Um, but we have to be, and when we think about the church, often churches are kind of built around this one persona or this one charismatic leader, and that is not the New Testament church that I see. In fact, the New Testament church that I see is it wasn't about, although you had key leaders like Paul that were challenging and encouraging, but what was he doing? He was equipping and empowering everybody around him so that they could go be everyday missionaries. And this is why, as they kind of were in these networks, these pockets, right, in ancient society, that the gospel just exploded in these places and lives were changed in a dramatic way where like thousands of people were being added to their number daily. Why? Because it wasn't dependent on just one guy. I mean, yeah, you got Peter, you got Paul. I mean, and, and not to diminish what they did, but they were continuing to release others to fulfill the mission of God. And that is our strategy. If it worked in the New Testament, it works for us. Less dependent on one person. And that is what we're doing around here. And, and I love it because I love to continue to see leaders step up in ways that they didn't realize that they could step up. And, and it's my favorite thing to do is, hey, you know what I think you should do? And just kind of mention something and then continue to encourage somebody to step into that thing that I know that they could do really, really well, whether it's leading a core group or community group or whatever it might be. But our entire system is not built upon a few people. It is built upon the everyday people of Jesus going and saying and looking at the places that they live, work, and play and saying, how can I be intentional in this space and place? And we had this cool thing that we did this past summer that we're going to continue to do, and it's a leadership intensive as we took leaders through this intensive process and, and talked to them about the keys of what it looks like to be the kingdom leader. And um, it was great. One of the things they had to do out of that was to come up with these personal disciple-making plans and say, all right, what does that look like for you? Not just like how could you do it, but how will you do that? And it was really cool because I got to sit down with all of them and have these conversations about what God would do next. And, and I could share just a ton of stories, but um, one of the ones that was encouraging to me is, is one of our girls came out of that. She's like, I'm going to start a new core group, specifically with some people that I know aren't even connected to church. I'm like, great, that's awesome. And one of those uh, girls that was in that group came back to me and was like, like that doesn't isn't a part of the church. This is like I, I'm just like studying the Bible and I'm loving it. Like I just I never thought like this is incredible. This is amazing. And, and there's so many stories like that that I could tell, and so many even in that group of twelve. But this is something that we are committed to continue to do around here is to unleash leaders to help them to find their true potential because this is the way that we make this exponential kind of impact. The harvest is plentiful. The needs around us are great, so we pray to the Lord of the harvest. Even now, Lord, hear our prayer as we say, send out more workers. Send out more workers. Help us to develop and equip and empower more leaders. And so the church is where leaders are made. The church, as this church, is where the future is reimagined. I love what Will Mancini talks about in his book, God Dreams. He says that imagination makes us powerfully human. It makes us inventors, planners, lovers. 
It makes us knower of the unseen, knowers of the unseen God. Albert Einstein once said that the imagination is more important than knowledge. And even the writer of Hebrews connects faith with imagination. Without faith, being certain of what we do not see, it is impossible to please God. We could say that faith is being certain of what we can only see with the mind's eye. In the end, faith demands imagination. Just breathing demands, as just as breathing demands air. The idea of hope itself would be a hopeless idea if I couldn't close my eyes and imagine a better future. The core belief of Christianity should make us the most imaginative, faith-filled people when it comes to the future. Revelation 21, 4 through 5, paints that ultimate future when it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying. For the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so that core belief is what allows us to to dream what our communities, what our families, what our lives would look like if we took hold of God's version of our future and allow God to stir our imaginations for what he wants to accomplish. And I do believe that if we are effective as a local community, we're not just thinking about how that happens inside these walls. We're thinking about what does it look like for the hope of Jesus to continue to invade this community? What does that look like? And how can we actually create and generate real change by the power of Jesus? And it's interesting because we're, you know, we keep stumbling upon these random things that God's like, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And, and we've, we've been imaginative. We've took, taken some risks. And there's just been so many cool things that God has done here over the years, if you really think back, and, and, and things that are currently happening right now. And I'm getting more and more of these requests to sit down and talk about what's happening here and how we're trying to think differently about how to be the church in a post-Christian context and how we are trying to be a church that's really present in our community, that if we had to shut our doors for some reason, the community would actually notice that we aren't here anymore. There's at least three churches locally right now who are in the process of starting coffee shops, wondering how to use them to bring about change. And and I'm just inspired by that. I'm encouraged by it. I'm not, you know, the more the merrier. You know, I mean, we're still going to be the best one, but it's still the more the merrier. I mean, we're thinking about what does it look like to make kingdom change, and, and I'm a kingdom-minded person, so absolutely, let's do it. We got many others who are curious about how to leverage everyday spaces like gyms and preschools and all the other things, which, by the way, if you look around this building, there is never a dull moment around here. I don't have an office. Like, I got to continue to move from space to space because, like, my office is where the preschool is, and so that gets a little rowdy. I got ADD, like, over here. But I love it because I'm like, man, this means this building is being utilized not just for the church but for the community, and that is exactly how it should be. And by the way, you guys are dreaming big dreams too, and I want to continue to challenge you, invite you to do that. We see things like Stroller Squad that now has this connection you know, really kind of this nationwide connection. They're fostering this local community, connecting with young moms, pouring into them. If things like Abide that was just this dream of some of our young people that was like, kind of like, well, what if? I mean, what if? What if we just, you know, I don't know, got a bunch of people from a bunch of different denominations together, right? They probably disagree on a whole lot of things. And what if we just came together in the name of Jesus and just worshiped? 
And man, that has just exploded generationally and across denominations. And man, what a picture of heaven. What a future-minded kind of thing to do. We've got ideas like a hand up, which is, um, which is being started, which will employ the formerly incarcerated, but not just doing that, but mentoring them to be who God has created them to be. And I could share story after story, and I, I'm getting the opportunity to sit down with more and more people and be like, hey, what about this? What about this? Let's say, keep it coming. In all glory to God, because he is putting his dreams in our hearts and daring us to chase them. And so, friends, I want to continue to challenge us. Let's continue to imagine a better future for our community. Let's be a laboratory for God's imagination to be stirred up in us. This is the heart of God, friends, for his church. So much more than a building. It's a dispensary of hope. It's a place where life is formed. It's a hub of purpose where leaders are made, and it is where we get the opportunity every day to continue to point each other toward heaven and say, what does heaven look like when it invades earth? That is our collective journey. So let me just say it one more time to myself, to all of us. Let's put our money where God's heart is. Father, we come to you in prayer now, and I just have a simple prayer, God. A simple prayer. It's the prayer that you told us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, in our time, in our generation, in this place, in our community, in Mason, Ohio, in Warren County, Ohio, in Southwest Ohio and beyond, across the nation, and in our world as it is in heaven, God, and may, may it start with us being who you have called us to be, being generous in the ways that you have called us to be generous, we pray.